The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. My special guest today is Tor Olaf, co-founder and CEO at Stravito. Stravito have raised $21 million from the likes of uh, Henk and Endiet. They've sold their AI-driven SaaS platform, which, which basically automates market research and market insights to blue-chip clients like McDonald's, Electrolux, Pepsi, Carlsberg, Danone. Uh, previously, Tor was the chief revenue officer at Izetto, and they're a pretty well-known fintech unicorn acquired by PayPal for about $2.2 billion a few years back. So, uh, Tor, welcome to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. You're very, very welcome. Now, Tor, tell me, how and when did you and your co-founders come up with the idea for Stravito? And also, where did you kind of meet your co-founders? How did you get to know them? Right. So, multiple questions. Stravito was founded in 2017. And uh, we're four founders that I would classify as both market research, but also technology entrepreneurs. So myself and, and Sarah Lee had uh, previously worked together at iZettle. And, uh, and both of us have experience you know, being part of, I would say, high growth uh, tech companies. And my two other co-founders, Andreas Lee and Anders Urban, are serial entrepreneurs. So, and the last company that they ran was a market research firm that they ran for 15 years that was called Norm. And uh, they had a product called SimStore, which was like the simulated store. And basically what they did was that they helped global organizations to effectively do what you, what's called shopper research. And the reason why we started Stravito was really because we had on you know, on the Sarah and myself, I, I you know, as, as you mentioned, I was running the growth team at iZettle and I had experience seeing how we, in fact, you know, in fact, started to reinvent the wheel. So one of the first team I started there was the data and analytics team. And as we grow, grew from, you know, 25, 50, 100, a couple of hundred, 500 employees, we started to reinvent the wheel in terms of redoing analysis that we already had internally. And similarly, what Anders and Andreas had experienced when selling research to big companies like Procter & Gamble and Unilever was that they effectively saw how these massive companies would call back, they would call them back and say, hey, didn't we commission, could you forward us that research we commissioned with you in the past? Meaning that they effectively were unable to find information internally. And having experienced and seen the problem from two ends, we set ourselves out to solve it. Cool. And tell me about the name Stravito. How did you come up with that? Oh, that was a tricky one. Uh, <laughs> it's never easy to come up with a, with a name for a company. I think we landed in a concept that basically um, summarized, on the one hand, Stra standing for strategy, and Vito, you know, which in, in, in some Latin languages refers to life. So bringing your strategy to, to life. Okay, that's cool. I I was curious about that. And how tricky was it as a small little, you know, Nordic startup to go out and win deals with global blue chips like Pepsi and McDonald's? I think it was 
as any startup is is extremely challenging and you know the statistics don't lie in the sense that it's it's extremely the odds are stacked against you you know when you when you start something and i think when you go into enterprise i was probably you know i've been you need to be very humble about the the challenge of going into enterprise software because the demands on the enterprise level are are completely would say different than the demands on a consumer level and it's much harder and trickier and more opaque to get to product market fit. We set out to effectively, you know, build a product that they would really appreciate, but uh, realize very early on that this was going to be a very tricky and difficult journey. Having said that, how did you, how did you as a team go out and win those initial deals? I mean, did you start immediately targeting those big international blue chips, or did you start with some? kind of small or mid-sized local Nordic businesses and then spread out from there? I think one of my main learnings from having been an entrepreneur in the past was that the importance of, of what Eric Ries calls validated learnings. So effectively not set out to do something unless you have actually proven that there is interest. So what we set out to do before we actually incorporated the company was to do a series of interviews. I think it was something like nine or 10 interviews with people that had worked at or were working at companies like Coca-Cola, like Marks and Spencer's and, and many more, and try to understand if the problem we set out to challenge was effectively a very big problem. And then there's also this concept of was it a vitamin and was it a painkiller we were effectively providing. And, and what we did is through those interviews, we could validate that uh, there was really something big here and something that large organizations wanted to solve, which meant that when we actually set out to, to start the company, we had, I would say, target audience, so effectively a market we wanted to serve, and a concept for a product that would serve that. So from the get-go, we had our, set, our focus set on very large organizations, but that's because our research had effectively confirmed that that would be, that would be something where we could add a lot of value. A lot of smaller companies, when they try to break into the large enterprise clients, rely at least initially on on partners. But of course, that's a bit of a chicken and egg because (laughs) big partners tend to prefer you to have some track record before they will engage with you. So it can be tricky. But did you go direct to the enterprises? Did you engage with partners or did you work both angles? We had the benefit of having two co-founders that came from the market research industry. As I normally say, you know, when running a startup, focus is your best friend. So we decided to focus very heavily on what was initially, you know, fast-moving consumer goods. Uh, so one specific industry because they were big buyers of market research. We also focused on a certain size of company, which were very large organizations. Because our co- my co-founders had a background in research, they had effectively had, I would say, kind of a, a network we could start off with in terms of who we would reach out to. That, I think, was essential because then we could at least get the first conversations rolling. And uh, even though that was no guarantee for any success, it was at least a very strong starting point. When we last spoke, you walked me through your perspective on the timing of hiring talent, especially senior talent. And as I'm uh, an executive search professional, that 
thesis, if you like, rather appealed to me. You mentioned finding the, the right people, the right talent first, and then solving the problem, using their skills and expertise to solve the problem, rather than trying to solve a problem and then sort of realizing you don't have exactly the right people on board and then going out only at that point to look for the right people to help you solve the problem. What experiences have shaped your proactive approach to hiring and problem solving? I think that, you know, I mean, I'm 44 years old, so not, you know, very senior, but at least I've worked for a few years and, uh, and I've experienced technology startups on both sides of the Atlantic, having worked in both San Francisco and in Europe. And I think one of my key beliefs that come from my experiences, at least, is I truly believe that the caliber of the people you work with determine where your company will end up and, you know, what type of company you'll be able to build. So I deliberately, you know, and, and I think to your point, I think that's why people like yourself are so important. I dedicate a lot of time to hiring great people and to create a culture where autonomous teams can thrive. And, uh, and I think from, from my perspective and what we're doing at Stravito, our autonomous culture mirrors also what we're trying to accomplish and achieve as a company. And I think one of the things we're trying to do, I mean, with our product is, is to continuously work on democratizing access to information, to empower individuals to make informed decisions, uh, no matter where they are in the world. And in some way, I would say that that's mirrored by the culture we're building, where we really want to have autonomous, strong people. You use the phrase autonomous, and I'm curious about that. What does an autonomous culture really mean? And, and how do you know when you're interviewing candidates that you've got people with the right attitude, the right mindset to be part of your autonomous culture? I would say that there's... Um... On a societal level, you know, I think that you we are going from at least in, if we take a look at what's going on in a lot of Western countries, is that it's people have less an acceptance of say what I would say, you know, traditional hierarchical organizations and structures. And I think that a lot of great people want to find organizations where they can effectively achieve great things. And I think, you know, there's a famous Steve Jobs quote where you know you don't hire smart people and then tell them what to do. And I think that that's kind of it, right? So you want to find people that are self-motivators, that are self-starters, that, that are self they're looking for an environment where they are allowed to do so. And, and that effectively becomes, you know, the autonomous individual. Uh, however, what autonomy requires is very clear, I would say guardrails and very clear, you know, uh, a culture that tells, you know, what is okay, what's not okay, and as much as possible, you know, very clear vision and mission statement. And that's, of course, difficult, you know, to have at all times. But the more you can provide, the easier it is for people to actually be autonomous in their day to day. OK, and that makes sense. But how, how do you know when you're out there looking for talent that you've actually got someone with that mindset in front of you? I mean, I know you can you can look at their CV and, OK, they've done some startup work or Maybe they've been in a successful startup that scaled, et cetera. You can interview them, but interviews are notoriously difficult to mm. truly, truly understand a candidate's credentials. You can use case studies and presentations. You can check references. 
What is it that you and your team do to be sure that you have someone who's going to be a true fit for your culture? Going back to your question, Gary, I think the reality is you don't. You don't know. <laughs> That's the sad part of it. But I think that what you can do and, and what we try to do is to, as much as possible, and, and this is something I've learned the hard way, hard way is that you try and I now try and kind of lead with, with the cultural and value fits, you know, is because if people have the heart in the right place, then you can at least, you know, if, if uh, through hard work, you can, you can get people to actually, you know, adapt and, you know, learn the skills that are required to be successful in the company. However, if the values don't fit, then that's always going to be something that is, uh, it's really hard to mend that, you know, it's really hard because, and it's not that some values are better than others, they're just different. Uh, so I think it's also, you know, being respectful of that. You, of that. But um, going back to your question and what, what you can do is, I think, as other great people have put it, and again, I'm just quoting them, is um, find out if people that have been, you know, at successful companies, if they have been passengers or drivers, you know, were they the people that actually made whatever success, made the companies that they worked at successful, or they just, they just, did they just happen to be on the winning team? Which is not necessarily, and, and I think there are questions that can help you understand that. And I also think that it's, um, I always spend a lot of time, you know, trying to understand people's passions, because passions is, is something that they will want to do. And, and if there's an alignment between what you're trying to accomplish and their passion, then I would say chances are that you'll, that, you know, you'll be in a very good spot eventually when that person joins. So alignment of passion, alignment of values seems to be a theme or a couple of themes there. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I know you're really passionate about employee mental health. And we even talked a little bit offline before about um, uh, well, my experiences with that, shall we say. Obviously, this is something that's been a challenge for so many companies due to the pandemic, due to experiments with remote and hybrid working, which some people and some companies respond well to others shall we say less well to and now on top of all of that we've got rampant inflation geopolitical uncertainty the war in ukraine etc what are you doing to look after your employees and their mental health we did talk about this gary and i, I think passion is is i think I, I would i would struggle to use the word passion about mental health i would say it's something i'm very concerned about you know i think something i think is really important and I think that uh, during, with COVID, we became a remote first company. You know, we, we do have office locations that are our main hubs. So if you want to go to the office, you, you can. But as a general rule, people work remotely. And I think that one of the big concerns that me and my co-founders had during the COVID restrictions and the lockdowns was just mental health. Because, you know, it's um, not only does it go hand in hand with company culture, but you also have less visibility when people work from home. And it was super important to me and my co-founders to make sure that everyone that was working from home remained engaged and motivated and that nobody felt left out. And, um, and, and some people, you know, were just, uh, had simply not planned. I mean, they might, you might end up in, you know, very small one bedroom apartment and, you know, you might not have a partner, you might be alone. And then being forced to be, you know, locked in is, is definitely a very strong strain. 
And we noticed this because when we hired people during lockdown, it was much harder to onboard them. But what we tried to do as an organization was really focus on ensuring that we could provide more information than we had done before, you know, which for instance, we did through hosting a weekly company update. And we also did, you know, we've also historically always done like a Monday morning uh, where we information session where everybody gets, you know, what's going to happen this week. And um, we also doubled down on sharing and transparency, you know, and recording and uh, sharing in case people are unable to log in when we do the meeting to actually do recording so that they can be shared with the rest of the organizations and done a bunch of changes, you know, so that everybody could be kept up to date with whatever that was going on in the organization and feel involved so that they felt that the, the team was there, if you will. And have you, now that some of the restrictions are coming down or being replaced with just um, kind of free policies on travel, shall we say, are you starting to get teams together for glo- you know global get-togethers and team-building exercises, or are you leaving people to, to their own devices? No, I think I think you're right. We we are doing. We're combining the. Uh, I mean, we ran a couple of surveys internally, and it was clear that people actually liked the ability and the possibility to work remotely, you know, and not necessarily have to go into an office which was, you know, by the way, something that I would never have imagined myself pre-COVID to run a mainly remote company. That's something that just wasn't in my, I could never, you know, it was not part of the things I anticipated doing ever, yet it happened. So to answer your question, we, we believe that it's important to combine a remote first setup with great offsites and retreats, which is effectively that, you know, we do meet up in person, you know, in a continuous Base it be quarterly or by you know or once or twice a year as a company. So for instance, we've just had summer meetups, you know, for the teams at the different hubs. Uh, but we also do team offsites, and then we have a couple of global offsites that we do in order to you know bring everybody together. And it always hurts me a bit when they're over because I always think like, oh man, I won't be able to see them tomorrow, you know. So it's <laughs> it's. It's there's a lot of joy seeing everyone, but there always hurts me n- knowing that um, everybody's going to go back, you know, afterwards. So, what are your plans for the next global offsite? You're going to go somewhere exotic? Well, I think for many people living outside of Sweden, Sweden is quite exotic, especially. <laughs> so, uh, depends what time of year, but yes, yeah, okay. yeah, no, the winter landscapes, and uh, we try to make something beautiful, beautiful out of it, but. Uh, Last week we had our summer summer get together in Amsterdam, and the week before the summer get together in London. So, so but the next big global one is going to be uh, the the Christmas one. Okay, maybe maybe head up to the north of Sweden for that one, or or push push up into Lapland, maybe. Oh, that that maybe. would be a, a memorable experience. What's the one thing? This is my Back to the Future question. You as now an experienced tech entrepreneur, wish you could go back in time to tell your younger self the one piece of advice you could give to your you know younger initial tentative steps into being an entrepreneur. One thing that's tricky, but uh, make it two if if you need if you can't narrow it down to one. I give I allow two as an answer to this question if that's easier. No, I think I would go back to what you. What you said, actually, what you asked me about, I would say that always try to front load hiring, you know, and uh, 
I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I do believe that it is crucial to find the right people, then solve the problem. I do believe that is crucial. I do believe that that is super important. And there's always this dilemma, it's like, is now the right time? It's, you nev- it's never, you know, you never have enough time. You know, that's the unfortunate reality of running a startup is you never have enough time. And so, um, so, so I, I do think it is is essential to do that because ultimately it's, uh, as, as you know, you might read about startup metrics, but ultimately startups are, it's, it's a people business. And even when it gets to a much bigger scale, it's, it remains a people business. And then I would say, because I, I was allowed to have multiple ones, <laughs> I, would say, I would say focus and goals, you know, which is, uh, and um, I was actually talking to one of our advisors and, and board members who, who have, who's had the privilege of working a great deal with Sequoia. And, uh, and I, from my understanding, I, I, I haven't had that privilege, is one of the things they are extremely good at is focusing, you know, forcing people to focus even more. And like when you think you are focusing, actually, you could focus even more, you know. So uh, and that goes hand in hand with having clear goals, you know, to be uh, super important to do what, you know, what are we going to accomplish in the short term in the medium term and the long term? And then make sure that everybody continues to communicate and to work towards those goals, because focus is uh, is your ally and best friend. Brilliant. Great answer. Great two part answer. So it's been lovely having you on the podcast and I wish you and the whole team at Stravito a brilliant and prosperous and fun journey over the next few years. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high impact senior talent. 